Brother Dan, how are you? How are you? Um, to be honest, I, I, I shared it with you this morning. I find it that the holidays, as good as they are to remind us of Christ, they throw a big monkey wrench into my routine, and that bugs me down. Well, for me, the holidays allow for me to kind of slow down, despite all the busyness of the season, um, to slow down and reflect on the years past um, and begin to think about the year coming. Um, and so I find myself desiring to keep a the pace that I'm operating at right now. In other words, I'm someone who gets wound up like a top spinning at the top of its speed. Um, and I don't want to find myself there very often. But so, we do. But we do. Yeah. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm in a position that I would love to just try to maintain. But the thing I've got to ask you, what are you doing with the Kansas City Chiefs Cup, dude? So... I don't know if, if, they, if they're watching and listening, but thank you for the gift to the Stafford family. Um, I, I thought maybe if they had found something like a Baylor Cup or I would have settled for a Cowboys Cup. But settled? Well, you know, it's the settled? Cowboys. Well, I don't know. Better than this, I would say. <laughs> but Chiefs. I know. But nonetheless, I'm very thankful because it was a family in our church that came to our home and said, we want to show some love for, to you. Now, whether that was a gag gift or not, could be debated. Well, now I just got to know why. Yeah. What, like, what, what was the thought? Have you expressed interest in the Chiefs? Um, no. Okay. No. I'm, I'm more of a, like I, I've already shared with you and others, uh, the Broncos. Uh, I like Baylor, Sikkim. Um, but that's it. Broncos. That's I know. It, the, so I that's, know. that's actually the this gag. is a step up. <laughs> well, no, but that's the gag. I know that's the gag because the Chiefs play in the Broncos division. Yeah, I know it's okay. it's one of those things. Okay. We we ask forgiveness. We confess our sins and we ask forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Broncos, bro. Sentimental reasons. Anyway, moving beyond the cup, which again, thank you to the Staffords. Um, this is season two of Disciple Life. The yeah. Bible and everyday life. And something that's shifted uh, since we last spoke to one another is that it's now 2023. Um, and I guess a question I would like for you to kind of converse with me through and our audience. What is the Lord leading us as a, as a church family, as a pastoral team, as you lead us into 2023? Well, um, I'm going to there are many many different ways I can think about answering that, but I'm going to stick to what the ministry of this church's pulpit will look like going into 23. Awesome. Let's go. Um, and, you know, we're coming off of 2022 where we as a church read through the Bible chronologically. So as scholars have ordered or structured um, the texts of the Bible and what we understand to be the first recorded text through the last recorded text of canonized scripture. Right. Um, we, we've done that. Um, we've, we've read and, and heard the story of God's, uh, God's redemptive story throughout time. Right. Um, now our focus with that in mind shifts to most specifically the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and we will, we will, come to interact, come to meet, um, come to converse with Jesus through the eyes of Luke. Right. Um, and that's where we picked up on, on uh, Sunday morning, uh, is transitioning into the gospel according to Luke, um, as he begins to set the stage for God entering into human history. Okay, I, I, and, and yes, we caught that. I, I have to confess, looking at just the four verses that you used to launch into a new year, into a new teaching series, um, I found it interesting. Not many preachers, not many pastors get excited over preaching the salutation in a letter, uh, let alone the introduction to the Gospel of Luke. Because there's not much wow to it. However, you did manage to bring the wow out of the, the details. So, for example, tell us about the trivia questions. 
So we're starting an, a new series. Well, I mean, and I guess a couple of ways to think about this is Luke will, we will work through Luke. Um, and I would not set an expectation for you or anyone listening that we would finish Luke this year. Yeah, probably not. Um, Luke is the lengthiest of all four of the gospel accounts. Um, and uh, as the the scene shifts in Luke, we um, will we'll take time to step away from Luke to hear what the other uh, those those who else have been led of the spirit to write scripture um, might help us begin to see Jesus uh, in that same thread or, or more round out the, the concept. Um, so similar so, to a synoptic thread of the gospel stories. Sure. Is that what you're going for? Sure. Um, so we'll, 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 Luke will be our, our main guide, but we'll take detours from every now and again. Um, so as to say, we won't finish Luke in 22 or 23. It's um, okay. It happens to all of us. Yeah. We won't finish Luke in 23. Um, and, um, we, we started, I, I guess, a mini series of Luke that we're calling Reigniting the Fire and Reigniting the Fire. Uh, will, in terms of what Luke contributes, will span Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through the end of chapter 2. So that is the introduction of Jesus through his birth. Right. Um, and through the accounts of uh, his early childhood. And so, um, we'll be, we'll be introduced to the beauty and magnitude of God in the second person of the Trinity. Um, coming and entering into human history. And so um, the big pictures we're working through Luke, um, the smaller or dearer term is that we're focusing on this idea of reigniting the fire. And so the first stage is really introducing the content of Luke as Luke introduces it um, and introducing the, the, the gospel as a whole. And so there's, at times when we begin to do a study of anything, we ask those basic journalistic questions, the five W's and the H, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Right. Um, and honestly, and aside from our personal endeavor to, to do such study, hearing someone say the, those five W's and H can be boring. Um, right. So the, the idea of introducing this as trivia um, was a way to uh, communicate those important facets about Luke in a more engaging way. Um, sure. But the, those questions had to deal with who is Luke, um, rounding out our understanding of who he is, as God tells us in his word. Um, the significance of Luke's contribution to, to the canon. Um, and of all of the trivia questions that I asked, the one that, that shocked people the most is that Luke is the far and away the, the greatest contributor to the New Testament by word count. Right. Um, we're, we're all aware of how many. The letter count. Yeah. How many different um, contributions the Apostle Paul makes by way of letters um, that have been canonized. But in terms of word count between uh, Luke's gospel and um, the, the Acts, Luke far and away is the greatest contributor to the New Testament. By word count. By word count. It's almost like he was, uh, and I say this with respect, a nerd who, yeah. who really listened to the professor who said, this is your word count for this yeah, this man. paper. Make sure it hits it and you surpass it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't get any points taken away for going over the word count either. There you go. Um, so that's so the, the idea of the trivia was to, to round out um, who is Luke, what is Luke's gospel, um, what else did Luke contribute. Um, and the importance, uh, that Luke plays in the supportive role of ministry for the apostle Paul and others right. in the first century, which I think it's, I think it was interesting to hear it outside of a seminary classroom or a congregation to understand that Luke has an apostolic, um, bent in the gospel compared to the other writers who were there witnessing what Christ was doing. Um, versus a Gentile writing an account, an orderly account, as some translations put it, um, for a Gentile audience, which also you highlighted those, and we can go into that later. I think 
I thought, and I still think it was very meaningful from my point of view for the congregation and those who were viewing online to understand the depth of how the gospel really transcends the Jewish people. And it goes to the whole world. Yeah. Do you want to go into any of that? For example, the, the, the apostolic nature of the gospel or any of the other things? So, um, Let's start there because actually that's that's a question that came up in my home last night um, as my family ha- has started a um, a Bible in a year reading plan. Uh, one part is uh, something that we do as a family devotionally, and the other part is what we do privately. Um, and one of my daughters asked the question as she was reading out of Acts, mm-hmm. um, Daddy, are the disciples and the apostles the same people? And I said, that's a great question. Who asked that? Lily. Lily Lily asked that question. Okay. I'm not Uh, saying negative against Bethany, but for Lily to ask that, it's, I I find it impressive. Yeah. So I I started to answer it this way. I said, you got to understand that the the definition of disciple and the definition of apostle are two different um, groups, two different um, uh, functions. Uh, disciples, as we understand it, are those who studied at the feet of Jesus. We know that there were the, the 12 named disciples amongst the others that are, have passing references within the, the gospel accounts. But there are the 12 named disciples, right. out of which um, 11 become commissioned apostles. Right. But they are not the exclusive uh, apostles um, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Um, we know that the disciple who did not make the apostle list is Judas. Um, and as Lily said, oh, that's because he betrayed Jesus. Yes. So there he, you go. Um, he doesn't become a, a, an, an apostle. Right. Um, so disciples are students, those who listened to the teachings of Jesus, uh, who saw the miraculous event, uh, events, occurrences of, of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and the apostles are those who were sent out. They're the ones who were sent on mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. Right. Uh, as Jesus, uh, as Matthew records and Luke records uh, in Acts, and Matthew records in, in the 28th chapter of, of his gospel. Right. Um, and so there are other apostles aside from those 11 disciples. Most pre- most predominantly is the apostle Paul, right? Um, but uh, well, so, it's arguably the last apostle, right? Right. So and so there's 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 that differentiation there, and so the the those who were um, identified as apostles and those who became the uh, conveyors of the apostolic message are those who encountered the incarnation. Um, or the resurrected Jesus, um, who who were subject to his teaching and had personal interaction with him, right. which is why um, Luke is careful to record what he does about Paul in Acts chapter nine. Right. Paul's personal account or uh, interaction, his encounter with, with the risen Christ, with the risen Christ, um, that's necessary for someone to have been identified as an apostle to be commissioned literally by Jesus, right. Um, and so the uh, that that's the difference there. And so this apostolic message are those who encountered the incarnation, the resurrected Jesus, who were themselves uh, sent out by Jesus to and taught by him and taught by him right. to proclaim the kingdom of God. Right. Um, and so this apostolic message is that which started in Jerusalem and made its way throughout the. Um, the Middle East into uh, the area that we know as modern day Turkey and to southeastern um, uh, Europe. Uh, that's that expanse of the the apostolic footprint across the first century AD. Right. And so I think, like I said, one of the, the most beautiful things that I gathered, just not even the content, but the references bringing the people along to see how the church is being born, even from the beginning of Luke, and how we as Christians have this beautiful hope that we ourselves are disciples, just not under the face-to-face touching and greeting Jesus in person, but being able to engage with his holy word and being able to rely upon the work of the apostles. We can call ourselves disciples, just not to the extent of, 
that personal knowledge of Christ, uh, intimate in in a per, in a person to person, and so I th- I think that was meaningful. Uh, I wonder, as you prepared for the service, um, what was the main objective for the congregation? What is it that you wanted the congregation to work to walk away with? Two things. One is with an understanding of where we're heading, um, because now. We've completed a course with the chronological study, so to present the the orientation of where we're going, and then to know that uh, what what Luke tells us specifically um, in these opening verses that what he's recording is trustworthy and true, right? And so and so as to say that all that we're going to encounter from chapter one verse five through the end of Luke. And all that you will encounter if you were to read the book of Acts, as Luke records it, um, these are trustworthy accounts of the both the person and work of Jesus Christ, as well as the Spirit's work after the ascension of Jesus as the Spirit fell at Pentecost. Uh, and then the the church itself expanded throughout the region that I just described. Of course, um, to know that 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 this is. That this is all material that you can stake your life on, right? Um, and it always be—it's a bewildering thought that outside of the church, the Bible gets a rep for being uh, untrustworthy, uh, fictitious, and mythical, uh, simply because some people don't get, the, the, and they go to some of the very. Um, obscure places in scripture. So for example, uh, scientists, and you made reference to how the Bible becomes a reference in, in terms of classical literature uh, for people in, academ- in academia to say, we have an account of this. So for example, you made the point of the ship, the shipwreck. Yeah. And so we can go to that and we say, wow, because of this in scripture, we see how the, the, this detailed shipwreck and what happened. But then there are people who, because either they have a thwarted view of God or they simply say God doesn't exist, then they go and quote something out of Job like Leviathan or they, uh, what's the, the other monster? And of course, the name, the other animal, I should say. So it's you have Leviathan, Leviathan for the sea, but then there's the one for the land. And they say, well, see, this, this makes no sense because of, of what is being described there. And I really appreciate that by showing us that there were 500 eyewitnesses that this guy was I mean Luke I should say yep uh, that uh, Luke is actually interviewing people recording trustworthy facts and that he is being meticulous to do an orderly account again like we've already mentioned that we can trust it way better than uh we could even trust Plato's Republic than we could even begin to trust the account of the Iliad or even the account of um, the other classical work by Homer, um, the Iliad, and then there's the, uh, uh, um, the life of Oedipus. And so those are things that I'm just uh, amazed to see how God in his inspiration of Scripture can bring us to truth that we can just, like you said, we can count on. I mean, it's um, it's no small thing to think about how Luke could have and very likely shared a supper table with Mary, certainly shared a table with um, with Paul and Timothy, um, shared a table with Peter. Right. Um, I mean, it's John, John yeah. um, James, the half brother of Jesus. I mean, Matthias, the, Matthias. The, the, the point is, is that Luke had access to everybody who was somebody, not that anyone thought that they were somebody um, in, 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 in the kingdom. But, but the every, characters in that he, he had access to everybody at some point in the course of his Christian lifetime. Right. Um, to have conversed and to have heard their accounts, their retelling of their perspective on what they saw and what they heard. Um, and just through his own efforts as a historian, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's able to to present this as something that says, I've seen the spirits leading. I've seen the spirits work. I've seen these accounts myself. And these are the, the testimonies of others who have gone come and 
and gone who have also borne witness to these things. Um, it enables us, it, ena it enabled them at that time, and it calls for us in this time to literally commit our lives to Christ and to live for him. Right. I, I, I like this particular point you made. Our faith is founded on revelation from God. Uh, coincidentally, Sunday school, we talked about John 3, 16, 4 through 18, actually. And it talks about the, 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 con the substance of faith and what is it that leads a, a person to believe. And so when we understand how faith actually is given to us, it, it kind of uh, rounds out the, the aspect of the Christian faith. And so why don't you break that, that down for us, that our faith is founded on the revelation of God. How does that work? Well, it works in that it's um, there is no contriving of emotional um, that feel good. Um, there is no intellectual assent um, that that we can arrive at. Our faith comes by the fact that God has spoken, um, and God has spoken what we need to know in order to come to know. Who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done and what awaits those who are his. Um, so when we come to the scriptures as the 66 canonized books of the Bible, we can confidently approach them knowing that it is God who has given utterance to them um, and that God has given for them the purpose of providing to us the way by which we can come to faith because it is reliable because he has spoken it. Right. Not because we feel good um, or someone had a very creative moment at some point in history, but because God himself has spoken it. Um, and we know as scripture gives account to itself that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Right. So we cannot have faith in God apart from hearing the word of Christ. Right, which is the Bible as yes. we have it. Uh, you keep saying the word canonized, and to make it very clear for someone who's not been to seminary, what is canonized? What the, what is the canon? The canon are those are the sixty six books of the Bible, and maybe I'm 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 saying that here because in my mind I think about how many other pieces of literature were written around this time. Right. Um, there are a number of false gospels that were written uh, within this time period that the the um, the epistles and the gospels and um, the other works of, of scripture were written um, that from from more or less were in competition for people's readership. Right. Um, but they themselves lack that apostolic touch to them. Right. Um, in other words, it would have been a guy like me or you who were writing. Gee, I wonder if this sounds good. Yeah. Um, and because we would, because we lack the that apostolic commission, um, what we write lacks that um, that divine influence, um, right. that divine. Uh, inspiration that is the criterion that allows for us to to know that that is scripture so i'm thinking about those other literary uh, contributions around this time that just are not scripture and so canon uh, concretely are the 66 books of the bible that we know um, god and his spirit led uh, individuals to write correct and you've heard us, um, those those that are on the third wall, the fourth wall of this, um, they've heard us talk about the crimson thread, right? right. It carries the, each of these books carry the same theme of redemption, yep. the plan of salvation for those who will believe, those whom the Father have cho has chosen, those that are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's, it's shocking. The Holy Spirit wants to work in the Old Testament. We just never, we don't see that language being overtly used, but we see the whole Trinity at work in the Old Testament. Even when we see, like, for example, in Daniel, and, I, and behold, there was in the fire a fourth man. Uh, the appearance was like the son of, as the son of God. Uh, and so it's one of those things where we see the whole Trinity working. So every single book has a crimson thread, which, again, is the theme of God's redemptive purpose. 
for all eternity. Um, so thank you for making that clear for us, because I know that we, we, you and I can use some words and we don't want to sure. lose anybody. Sure. So as we, as we move forward uh, into 2023, we're going to go into this new series like, that you've already described. What are we looking for God's movement as we prayerfully follow into this, into this study plan from the pulpit? What are we anticipating God doing as a result of this proclamation of Luke? What do we anticipate God doing? Um, we anticipate God continuing to do what he has always done, and that is calling lost sinners into his son. Um, we anticipate him doing the work of sanctifying or growing those who are already in Christ more in the likeness of his son. Um, we anticipate our, the, the, those who are already disciples of Jesus Christ rediscovering just who Jesus is. Um, in other words, meeting Jesus face to face uh, with eyes anew as God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might um, be more effective for him and his kingdom. Uh, I think about just my my own example of um, being wound tighter than a top, spinning at top speed. Um, Which, by the way, happens to many senior pastors. Sure. Um, <laughs> Yet we excuse that, just using that. We try to right. excuse that by saying, well, everybody's subject to this stuff. The small business owner is subject to this stuff. The, right. the educator is subject to that stuff. The, you name it. Right. And it's not to say that Jesus didn't find himself being a busy person. Um, but Jesus handled um, himself in much more spiritually and emotionally and physically healthy ways than we often do. Um, and so what I, what I am hoping we begin to see are <clears throat> a more well-rounded discipleship approach, uh, giving birth in the life of the disciples of Christ here at Divine, um, where we're seeing Jesus as a person, not just in, in ministry of the word, um, but at Jesus as a disciple in ministry of prayer and ministry of Sabbath um, and, and those facets that at times we often overlook or skirt around saying, oh, that's for Jesus. Right. Um, like taking a nap in the middle of a storm. Sure. Yes. At the bottom of a boat. <laughs> yes. Yes. What does that mean for us? We don't right. have to answer that right now, but the point is there—there there is application for us. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Yeah. I think hearing you explain that, it definitely excites me to to follow along, to see where God is leading. Um, because something that I hope people would understand is that when, and I know every pastor has their own style. Um, for what I've observed ever since I've known you, you're not a fly by the seam of your pants kind of guy. Uh, you're very methodical, which I think it's a gift of um, God's grace to anyone that leads in the church. And one of the things that I've observed is that you are also someone who prepares. So every sermon is not like on Saturday evening, you just sat down with a pen and said, I wonder if this will stick. Um, but I can testify to seeing you wrestle with a text, go be prayerful about the text, and then even prayerful as we as you enter the pulpit and be ready to present to the, the saints who listen. Um, how God has been in, leading you to teach all of us. I say that to say this. It's, it's, it's an amazing feeling of, I cannot wait to see how this shakes down as we go to 2023, December, and we are getting ready for 2024 to see how we celebrate. Prime example. Um, we had a baptism to start the year, right? Which I think is a fitting 
God honoring and almost like a, uh, not a pat in the back because we, we're not doing the work God is, but to see God's reminder that you teach faithfully and I will faithfully continue to work among you. Sure. So I think for me, that's just, uh, I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really encapsulates the, the hopeful expectation is that as the word of Christ is proclaimed, um, that faith will come by it. Um, faith will be deepened by it. Right. Um, and a church with kingdom power will be born anew. Right. Which I know some people might hear that. They might think they're going to, they're going to go off the rails. They're going to start speaking in tongues and things like that, but no. that's not what we're referring to. No. And so just to, just to kind of, to, 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 to further explain that. The, a church with kingdom power. Um, now I'm going to half quote or paraphrase scripture because I'm not recalling the, the full, um, the full text, but who is it that, is it the demon of hell approaches and says, Jesus, I know. Yeah. In the book of Acts. Yeah. Or one of the gospels, I believe. It's in, I think it's in Acts. Jesus, I know. Paul, I'm aware of, but who are you? Kind of, yeah. Um, and then, and then the man that was demon oppressed began to beat on them and say, why couldn't we do this? Yeah. Um, I've often thought about what you want to know a personal goal of mine. Go ahead. To be known in hell. That's a good one. Um, that, that is, that is like my goal. Uh, and what I mean by that is that as, as I try to be faithful to what I know God has called me to, my prayer is that <laughs> not so much that I earn the master's favor. That's not anything I can do, but that as a consequence of my faithfulness that I become known in hell as that verse gives account to. Right. Um, because in my mind, the thought of being known in hell means there is a great kingdom significance um, that has been going on. Right. Um, in other words, we, we, we've not just been um, holding the line. Um, and so that is that's a very bold thing to say, I know. Um, but the idea of, of a church operating under kingdom power is becoming a church known in hell. Right. Um, where this is a place where truly when the church gathers, we are singing over all the hell that we've come through in the, in the week prior. Right. We're singing against those things. Um, we're, we're praising the one who unifies us rather than allowing our sinfulness to divide us. Right. Um, and so what we, what we then become is a, a church that operates with kingdom power, right. not, not, not any weird stuff, um, but one that defies all that our fallenness would have us fall to. You're, so as you're describing that, I'm recounting, I, I believe, I, I, I know it's in Psalms, uh, that the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Right. That when we come together as we worship in spirit and in truth, we enthrone him upon what he's doing in our lives. And by result of that, the kingdom of heaven, again, not just holds the line, but it's pressing forward and extending the light of the, of the gospel to those that are lost. So I think that's that's a wonderful description. Also, I think that if anyone is interested to see how that applies from the perspective of a human being, um, being transformed by the spiritual practice of prayer, meditation in scripture, scripture reading, and solitude, uh, the screw tape letters by uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, would be a wonderful anthology to read. And I say anthology because it's a collection of, of letters that uh, fictitious letters between two demons that were published uh, in the Guardian, which is now a publication out of date uh, during World War II. And it was they were written like, I think, once a week or two, two of them a week, and they were made available for the public. 
And you can see how the reality of the Christian and everyone in the world is a spiritual reality, which brings me back to this point you made during the sermon. Can I, can I say Go ahead. Thing? Yeah. I just started reading screw tape later, screw tape letters again this week. So that was a Holy Spirit moment yeah, right there. That was. Awesome. Um, uh, I will say this um, at one point in the sermon, and it was uh, right about the middle of it. Um, you made the, you made a very interesting point that uh, the Bible speaks truth and only truth. And that if the Bible speaks truth, therefore Christianity is true. And every, every other religion, if we follow that to its logic end, is untrue. It's false. I'm just going to say, I'm not, I'm just going to say the, the F word. It's false. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we as Christians live under that truth? Knowing that the world is telling us much that like the example of the, the parable of the elephant and the five blind men that you shared with us uh, holds true today that everything is rel- uh, everything is relevant. What's true for you may not be true for me, but I'm going to respect your truth as long as you respect my truth. Um, and that's something where for better, or for worse or indifferent, the church operates, and I don't mean the building, but the people of God operate in a society, in a culture that is very much relativistic. So how can we encourage one another and live based on that assumption of truth versus falsehood, pretending to be true? Encourage one another in terms of brother and sister encouragement or encourage others who are living under that realm? Yes. Okay. Well, this is where I would invite us to think in this way. As we read through Luke, and by the way, a disclaimer on Wednesday nights, Pastor Carlos will be teaching uh, the book of Acts um, beginning tomorrow night, um, or Wednesday, uh, January 4th, depending on when this posts and when you watch this. But he'll begin to teach through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights as part of one of our adult equip sessions. Right. Um more on that later. But the um, the idea is this. As our society trends more towards, I'm going to introduce another word, further pluralism. Right. Meaning more ideas out there, more philosophies, um, and greater relativism, meaning my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, that idea. Um, as we trend more towards that, We actually find ourselves, maybe for the first time in history, looking most like the time in which the scriptures were written. Right, like Paul walking through Athens and seeing all sorts of uh, pedestal and statues. So it's specifically, Paul, why I was able to confidently say there can be hints of truth, but not full truth in other faiths. Right. Because it's Paul at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17 at the the tomb of the unknown god, right? Not so, the tomb, the the uh, the whatever it's called. The it's a pedestal to the, the unknown god. It's empty, and uh, it says, "Men of Athens, I, I can perceive that in all things you are very religious, and you even have this they, one unknown god." And they they are aware of an unknown god. Um, this break brought to you by. I'm gonna have to have them call me back. Um, there was an awareness right on their part. Um, so how, how do we move forward? We can actually look to that example of Paul. What does he do in Acts chapter 17? Are you asking me or? Well, he engages with their understanding and then he begins to now present this one unknown God that you do not know. I know. And I proclaim him. And he then proceeds to tell them, Jesus Christ born to the Jews died for our sins, and he's the son of God. And in his death, we have eternal life. And, and we also see that as a result of that proclamation, some people walked away in disbelief saying, this guy is nuts. Other people left wondering, wow, this is some interesting teaching. I need to come back next time he's here. But then we also see the reaction of, I believe. Tell me more. We can look to that example. Among others, but most specifically that, to right. find where our encouragement is. So what, what do we see? 
we should not shy away from the truth. Where we do need to maybe begin to think about is, just as Paul does, he builds a very small bridge. Right. He builds a small bridge in, hey, we have a common interest here, if you will. Right. And it's a strong bridge. It's not like a flimsy one. No, it's a strong bridge, right. but it's a small bridge nonetheless. Right. And and he, he invites everybody to cross that bridge and then presents the gospel. Right. Um, and he does so in the awareness and the confidence that whomsoever God will lead, will lead to faith. Right. Some will reject him, and that's okay. Right. Um, our heart aches for that. But our goal, sure. our goal is to be faithful. Um, and so that's, that's what we must press forward with, is identifying where those bridges exist and then proclaiming the gospel. Moving forward. I agree. So far, you're, you're, you're teaching good, teach. Keep going. No, you're doing good. I, I think, um, and I think this is a good transition unless you would like to share something else from the sermon. I think one of the the things that, just from my, from my perspective, will bless the congregation this year as we go through this is one, it's not the typical, and I mean this with all respect to whomever may be watching, it's not your typical Baptist series upon text, not the traditional Baptist that most people may remember from 34 years ago, where this Sunday you could be doing a gospel, next Sunday you're doing uh, an Old Testament prophet. Next Sunday, you're doing a minor prophet or uh, one of the books of Moses and the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. And then you're going to Revelation. It's not haphazard in the sense of standing alone Sunday to Sunday. And you did that very well by leaving us in tension saying, but next week, I'm going to tell you where we're, we left off. The systematic approach to bringing us along through the Bible after we've read the whole Bible as a church family. And now through the sermon, building that intentionality to say, but there's more. Come back next Sunday, mm -hmm. which is not very traditional of Baptist pastors. It's not within the Baptist tradition all that strong. There are some that do that. Not very historically, not very many would do that. Uh, I mean, we can look to B.H. Carroll, D.L. Moody as good examples of that, where uh, it was very much evangelistic, but not systematic expositional preaching. And so it's one of those things that I'm very thankful for. And I think that's going to bless the church. Oh, okay, cool. That's just my thought. Sure. Anything else before I make a switch? No. Okay. So if you're watching this, you're, you're going to see that we're doing things a little different. The conversation is here. We, we, we're making almost like a triangle. And right now you can vote if this is my best side. Because okay. if not, next week we can just go like this. <laughs> and um, one of the things we would like to uh, introduce our listeners to, it's a great idea that Pastor Dan was thinking of and um, something that we're trying to do. Number one, our goal is to answer questions for you, our audience. And so uh, also with the understanding that the podcast goes on video, but also it goes uh, on actual audio only through like eight different platforms. Sure. So one of the things we'd like to make available to you uh, is to be on the lookout for a code where you can actually, or a link where you can send questions to us uh, after watching the sermon or any questions you have about Christianity, faith, theology, you name it. And we will answer them uh, in a conversation setting just like this. Yeah, because the idea is um, our content is focusing on the, the most recent message uh, delivered here at First Baptist Church Divine. And so um, I, there's deep awareness that not every Sunday and in every text, it, um, that every point gets drawn out of uh, a particular text that's covered. Um, and so there may be questions that you have about peculiarities about a word phrasing um, or differences between uh, your translation of preference and the one that um, that I most often uh, preach and teach from or anything of the like um, curiosity or uh, clarity that you require uh, after hearing the message. 
Um, the point is, is that we want to make opportunity for this time as we do this podcast um, to to further round out your understanding of the text that was preached from or the message itself. So we're going to create an avenue for you to submit those questions that you have before we record this um, so that some of your questions drive what Pastor Carlos and I discuss. Right. And so for you, for those of you who may be joining us uh, in person, uh, there will also be a box where at the back of the sanctuary after the service, you can drop those questions and we'll address them when we record, as you mentioned. And then for those who are very tech savvy, we'll have our church app, which everyone is welcome to download and access and send those. Uh, and then also we'll make it available on the link, uh, the links for um, our videos. We, we, we can do that actually when we schedule them, say question, submit questions for Disciple Live. And then it'll be a link that comes to me and to Pastor Dan to address. So that's the first one. Then we have two events happening within the next two months that are very important for discipleship and for the life of the church. Six weeks, man. Not two months. Six weeks. I said within. Like yeah. this is like in it, like both of them are like early February. Yeah. So yes, you're right. It's six weeks. But we're saying I like round figures. Yeah. So anyway. The first one happens on the first weekend of February, mm -hmm. and that's the 4th and the 5th, correct? 3rd and the 4th. 3rd and the 4th. There you go. See, this is why we do this banter. So the 3rd and the 4th, and this is Adventures in Marriage. Tell us about that, Pastor Dan. Adventures in Marriage is a marriage seminar, a marriage enrichment seminar that will lead a husband and wife through a, um, a education on how to communicate well. I promise you, husband and wife, whether you've been married one month or you've been married 50 years, you need to stand to improve on how you communicate with your spouse. Um, and I will promise you as well that 99% of your fights are because you're not communicating well. I promise you. And so we're offering... Um, Adventures in Marriage, uh, February 3rd and February 4th. It's a Friday evening and full day Saturday. Um, it is an event that costs uh, $100 for the couple. Um, that cost it has to do with the material uh, that you'll be able to take home, as well as some of the, the costs surrounding food and whatnot, because we want you to be able to stay here and make best use of your time. Mm -hmm. um, but it has nothing to do with the, the facilitators who are coming in. Um, to, to actually facilitate the, the program itself. Which we want to make sure people know we are not facilitating that to act, to allow the most uh, honesty and vulnerability yeah. for everyone yeah. attending. Yeah. So there, just so there's transparency there, neither, no one from the, the church staff is facilitating uh, that, that content. So we want husbands and wives to be able to get down to the raw and nitty gritty of things in your marriages and to be able to speak about them in safe and healthy ways. Um, just so you are aware, an Adventures in Marriage or similar enrichment uh, program for your marriage, if you were to do this someplace else, this is an event that would cost you at least $350 right. up to $1,000 for a similar weekend. So at $100, the cost is very low. Um, and right now, uh, where signups are open, if you go uh, through the Church Center app and click on that hamburger menu in the top or the bottom right and, and click signups, um, you can um, secure your spot by making a deposit of $40, and then the balance will be due by the end of this month. Uh, registrations will close at the end of this month. Um, so, and, we, and spaces are limited. We have uh, eight people total. So four couples? Yeah. So four couples are registered. That means we have eight spots left. Um, and and we can only accommodate 12 couples this round. So right. If you're not able to sign up um, because of just an availability issue, sign up. Uh, go ahead and still go ahead and sign up and just select yourself as a wait list uh, as, as an option there. There won't be any charge to be added to the wait list. Um, but that will let us know that you're interested in a program like Adventures in Marriage, uh, but just the time frame doesn't work for you because we want to be able to um, to, to try to bring something back uh, if, if it's well received in, in the next few weeks. And uh, but you got to let us know that you're interested in that. So long right. story short, 
if you can't sign up uh, because you're not available the third and the fourth, um, sign up as a wait list. If you are interested, you can do so by signing up now and making a deposit of $40. The $60 balance will be due at the end of the month. If you're interested and uh, funds are an issue for you, contact either Pastor Carlos or myself yeah, let and, us know. and we'll work with you on that. Right. And so these are, this, is an, this is an event that comes out of both of us having experienced similar seminars. Uh, I went for, it was, both of us went to a weekend long one, I believe. And so the, believe me, it's going to be worth it. Yep. And if your, if your family, if your marriage is healthy and centered on, in, on Christ, the church is going to be healthier. Whether you come to First Baptist, whether you go to any other church in the area or somewhere, wherever you live, it's going to be a benefit to your church. Right. Speaking of benefit to the church, we are hosting a, our second annual uh, Equip Conference. This is for anyone in the Divine, Medina County, South Texas area. You're welcome to come. Uh, and so what we'll provide for you are trainings by one of them will be Pastor Dan. But we will have other speakers who are coming from outside of our church who are experts, for lack of a better term, in their topic that they're presenting. So, for example, we will have a session led by Pastor Dan on as to how can we hear from God. And so he's going to focus very heavily on how do we build that particular relationship based on scripture and prayer and meditation on the word. Then we'll have another one that I'm really uh, excited for. It's being led by Dr. Steve Spivey, and he's going to be leading us to how can we disciple those that are dealing with mental health issues, which it's not a, it's not something that the church can ignore because we need to disciple all people, regardless of whatever they're facing in everyday life. Uh, we will also have Victor uh, Rodriguez, who is with uh, the Texas Baptist family, and he will help us to connect discipleship uh, as we reach out to the community. And if you love to work with children, we have a special offering by two of our wonderful uh, lay uh, leaders here in the church, Ashley Stricker and Gail Duffer, both of them in the education system here in Divine. How do you minister to children when they have temper tantrums and how do you de-escalate without having to get physical and without having to use harsh words? We are working on providing everyone meals for the two days that this will happen. So it's going to be the 17th and the 18th. Here's the best part. Discipleship goes hand in hand with missions. And so one of the things that we are excited about is that we'll have some of our partners in ministry come to visit. It'll be a wonderful time. We'll have worship both days. We'll have challenging material being taught to us. And by the time we leave here on Saturday, I think we'll be more encouraged to be disciple makers. Amen.